Hi everyone, I'm Paloma Contreras and you're listening to another episode of the Style Files podcast. Joining me today is the super chic designing duo, husband and wife of Carrier and Company, Jesse Carrier and Mara Miller. Jesse Carrier and Mara Miller, the principals of Carrier and Company Interiors, are a husband and wife interior design duo who create rooms that offer a confident mix of timeless and contemporary design, both familiar and fresh at once. Their guiding philosophy focuses on connecting client with place and a manner that reflects a distinct and singular nature of both. From bohemian glamour to country charm, from modern luxe to the timeless and ineffable, from the historically informed to the tailored and refined, the carriers delight in adapting their impassioned sensibility to the unique elements each project presents. Carrier and Company Positively Chic Interiors, their best-selling book, offers glimpses of the private spaces of influential tastemakers in the fields of fashion and media, and features the homes of Anna Wintour, editor-in-chief of Vogue and artistic director of Condé Nast, and the studio of fashion designer Jason Wu, among others. All of the interiors presented in Positively Chic are characteristically imbued with the personality and style of their owners, while showcasing Jesse and Mara's core dedication to decor that feels effortless, essential, and light of spirit. To be able to further share their unique vision of home and interiors, Jesse and Mara are partnering with leading manufacturers in the home furnishing industry. With Century Furniture, Carrier & Company has designed a collection of over 50 pieces along with decorative lighting with visual comfort and in spring-summer 2020, a textile and wallpaper collection with Lee Jofa. A rug collection and bedding line are also in the works. These partnerships offer Carrier's talent for bucking trends while staying current and combining elegance with livability. Named to the prestigious Architectural Digest AD100 and El Decor A-List, the Carriers have garnered accolades from the world's most prominent publications, including Architectural Digest, Vogue, Town & Country, El Decor, House Beautiful, Lux Interiors and Design, Milieu, Oprah, and World of Interiors. Jesse and Mara met at the Fashion Institute of Technology and worked for a number of AD100 interior design firms before founding Carrier and Company Interiors in 2005. They live in New York City and upstate New York with their two children. Jesse and Mara, I'm so thrilled to welcome you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Jesse. Hi, Mara. How are you guys? We're doing really well, Paloma. How are you? I'm doing well, all things considered, you know, it's kind of a a strange time that we're all navigating currently, but strangely, it's, I don't know, it's starting to feel like our new normal a bit. I think once we're ready to go back to the office, that will feel kind of strange. How about you? Taking it one day at a time. I know, I feel like we have been now, are we in week seven of... um, Our self-quarantine. Yeah, or... um, sheltering in place I guess we right it. and um, I feel like by the time we nail it by the time we really get into the routine it'll be you know it'll be time to go back to the city and so we've been yeah I think we've been well all things considered I mean we we're lucky enough to be um, upstate with our kids uh, who are remote learning at the moment so we're sort of toggling between fourth grade and eighth grade and and work i know and... now instead i was keeping track of time by sheltering in place and now i'm keeping track of time by how many more weeks of school <laughs> i can't wait <laughs> has that been tough i would imagine it would be a lot to to juggle you know not only running a household and having everybody home all day long every day but in addition to that you know running your very busy business and having your kids at home having to homeschool them as well you know I find that it's been um, for me I like to be busy and I feel like it really does keep uh, I, I mean it's a full day so there's never you know I just think about other people who no, I, I had a dream. I had like tiny, tiny secret dreams that I would turn this time around for all this like self-discovery and self-help yeah, and happened. exercise or even binge watching. <laughs> like I was going to watch all these movies like by a director one at a time. And we don't even watch television. Like we just work. Then we check homework. You know, Jesse makes dinner. We do homework checks after dinner and then read books. to so the pass out and go right the to bed. Go so quickly. 
I, that's it's crazy. I mean, I feel the same way because when this first started and we knew that we were going to be working from home for a little while, first of all, I never imagined it would be this long, but in my mind, I thought, oh, great, I'll get to watch old movies with beautiful mm-hmm. interiors and get inspired and pour over books and, you know, do all of these things that I never have the time to do. And of course, I haven't, I haven't had a time, <laughs> time or a chance to do any of those things, but thankfully so, you know, we've been really busy work-wise. Most of our projects are still forging ahead, which is obviously a blessing, but um, it's just an interesting time. I I think it's better to to make your days feel busy because the alternative would be really depressing, especially right now. Exactly. No, I feel that has been a blessing that our days are very full. And once in a you know, occasionally we get frustrated with homework and I don't really understand eighth grade math at all. So that becomes Mara's burden. But it, you know, I feel like I don't understand it either, <laughs> but I've figured out what questions to ask to make sure the work's getting done. Right. Well, good. It, you know, it's coming through right now. You guys are obviously a great team. And I'm especially excited about today because you are the first design duo that I've had on the podcast. And it's even better because you're partners in both business and life since you're a married couple. Could you tell us a little bit about the journey that led you to go into business together? Sure. Well, Jesse and I met uh, while we were students at FIT in New York City studying interiors, and we started dating our last semester. And then we were working, um, we, were very, we were one of the few students at FIT who wanted to do residential design. And we were working in kind of parallel careers. And we ultimately, I don't think we had a goal, an end goal of ever teaming up and working together, but after our son was born, it just kind of presented itself and it became kind of an obvious choice so that we, at the time I thought that if we worked together, we would have a little more control over our schedule that we would have all, you know, the downtime together. And what we didn't realize was that. Hindsight is always 2020 yeah. 20, and it just, yeah. When, a, when we look never back downtime it, when it's your own business, yeah, when we look back on it and we had just had our first child, we had just, Purchase. We had just like just finished a renovation on our our apartment, and and then we made the decision to quit our jobs and start a business together. I mean, it, looking back on it, it seems so daunting. Like all the, like really big life changes all at once. But well, you had um, two babies at once between your business exactly. and your child. Yeah, yeah. And I think you know we had worked for ten years for very you know, around firms. And I, I think there's a, it's a big difference when you start over, there's so much business and admin and other layer of work that you take for granted when you're in a well-established company. So I think that's part of the, like the, the shock and the surprise of running your own business. We knew sure, how that makes a lot of sense. It was all the other stuff that we had to learn. Right. Well, speaking of which, Jesse, I recently learned during my chat with Jeffrey Bill Huber that you and Stephen Gambrell and Tom Felicia once worked for him. And I, I didn't realize that. Um, what was it like working with Jeffrey? Is there a lesson from that time that you carry with you today? Uh, vodka and tonic. Is <laughs> no, uh, that was really, I think, some of my most formative years. Uh, those were eight of the 10 years uh before we started our own business, I, I was working with Jeffrey um, for a long time. And, you know, I think my enduring memory is, uh, and really I think part of the way that we run our business today is much, very much influenced by him, which is really, there's just, he has so much energy and um, tenacity is not even the right word. There's, there's just such an abundance of energy and passion for what he does. And he's so incredibly talented. And I think you know, the lessons I learned from him were just to never give up to, you know, just no, no matter how many rounds of revisions, I mean, there's, you know, you just, you have to press through, you have to work hard. And I think um, those are all well-founded bits of advice that I took away. Absolutely. Well, you founded your own firm in 2005, which means you're celebrating a big anniversary this year. Congratulations, 15 years. And surely, I mean, you guys make it look amazing and so easy, but 
is it ever challenging working so closely with your spouse? Never, Paloma. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's another, I I, I feel like we have become, uh, you know, we've been doing it for 15 years. So it's, it's like water off a duck's back. And I was talking to um, Jay Fielden recently, who, uh, when we were working with, with Jay and his wife, Yvonne, uh, he had coined or they had coined a phrase called come blaming as a, a term that they sort of used uh, or dealt with often and I've always sort of thought about that and chuckled and I was talking to Jay recently and I thought yeah you know we've been you know working side by side together for 15 years now you know and then going home and spending the rest of the day together and so we were really well equipped for um, sheltering in place and you know working together because I can't imagine how many other couples who uh, ha- are used to sort of working separately uh, and having those eight or, yeah, eight or 10 hours away from each other who are now sort of in these moments of just being together 24 seven. And I felt like it, it was not, you know, there was no difference for us. It's sort of the way we've, we've been no, working it's it's for been the last 15 years. Simple. So it's been very kind of an easy transition. And we've always kept the kids close to home. We've kept our New York City life very tight. So the kids come to the office after school a lot of the time. And so the the, the, the transition, yeah, into, into sheltering in place was really probably easier than for most. Yeah, it sounds like you were really well set up for that. It's not too different than business as usual for you to some degree, obviously. Exactly. Well, how do you how do you balance your points of view? Do you both work on every every project together or do you divide and conquer and Jesse might work on a project and then Mara takes the lead on another? I yeah, think, I think it's always been really or, uh, it's a mix and I think it's always very organic. I mm-hmm. think that we um I think we're very good listeners and I feel like when it comes to clients and projects, well, yeah, it's a mix. I feel like sometimes one of us will have a, you know, a very a, clear connection, a connection with a client or um, similar points of views, or they'll just gravitate um, naturally towards who's the lead on a project. And I think um, otherwise, I generally do work on most of the projects which are out of town. Um, I'm the travel guy. So I'll be the guy who, you know, I'm happy to jump in the car and drive to the Hamptons or get on a plane and fly to Florida. Um, so sometimes that determines the, um, the lead, the lead, but, but like I've been finding one thing that's hard, Jesse and I have different work styles where I like to share all my ideas with Jesse. He likes to make decisions as soon as quickly Mm -hmm. as possible. So what (laughs) we've been learning, which has been actually very nice because our office is all working remotely and we do all these zoom meetings is that if we're not both on the meeting, it's like a waste of time. It's really so much more efficient to just kind of have all those discussions out in the open and bring the design, the you know, the team who's working on the project in on the decision-making process. So we're all coming up with the final edits together and we can come from all different points of view, but we edit together. And that's been what's I think most successful. That's great. I mean, it sounds like you guys really have a tried and true sort of process in, in mind or in, in the works. And what's really standing out to me is it sounds like you have such a deep level of respect for one another. I don't think it would be quite as easy for a lot, probably most of married couples to work so closely together and, and to be able to really, um, you know, jointly execute a project as you have done so beautifully so many times without wanting to wring each other's necks. Sometimes we want to um, do that. Sometimes we want to do that. And honestly, I was going to say, Paloma, I think part of, part of the strength of our, our projects and and the um, outcome is because we do have uh, varying and, and differentiating points of view. And I think sometimes there is a little tension in, in the design process, but not in a bad way. I feel like sometimes those different points of views really push, you know, we push each other. And I think the end results are all the stronger for it. Well, that's a really good point because, uh, you know, in looking, thinking back on your body of work, you design in so many styles. And I think, you know, the commonality is that there's always sort of a mix. It's never completely one note. It's, you know, some, some houses look 
to be a bit more traditional and classic while others are a little bit more modern or eclectic, but there's always a mix of um, pieces from various provenances and periods and styles and always that little something unexpected, whether it's a piece of art or an interesting chair that really pulls the whole thing together. And in hearing that process, I'm sure that that same tension that you experience during the process, if you will, it comes through in your work. Obviously, you know, that that tension is so important in terms of making sure that something feels like it has personality and a story and it doesn't just feel sort of one dimensional. Thank you. It, it's true. I think one size does not fit all. And I think, uh, you know, beside the fact that we, we push and pull each other aesthetically, I think that we're always constantly referencing the project, the client, the architecture. And I think that also influences the end look, uh, you know, as well. The result of that project is really um, heavily influenced, I think, by, by our clients and, and by the, um, the nature of the project, the location, uh, you know, any of those details that pepper into the process. Sure. Tell us a little bit about your design process. How do you like to begin your projects and what kinds of, of projects that come through your door make you excited? What are the things that you're wanting to take on and the types of clients that you, you enjoy working with? Um, I don't know if there's any one particular client or job that we're, we're most excited about. I feel like we, we tend to get a lot of, um, families. I think there's a, a comfort level perhaps in the fact that we are a family business that we are, that we get it. And I, I do feel that we often get um, couples who come with kids who appreciate the practicality and the sort of um, the knowledge, you know, the working knowledge that we can bring to a project. But I think that, um, you know, I think we really get excited when we see projects that have great potential to change and to become I, I think we, you know, maybe it's, maybe they're the diamonds in the rough that we can see, um, you know, beautiful houses that, you know, they might, clients might have a certain amount of taste and they have certain amount of, of things that they're going to bring to a project, but we can really sort of see through that and see what, you know, I think it's the vision that we bring to it and we can sort of see what potential these projects have. And I think those are the most exciting projects where, where um, we know that the outcome is going to be just so much stronger than the beginning. I think it's, you know, and that sometimes comes back to a client and you've got clients that are not trying to furnish a home, but they're trying, they're excited about expressing a vision. And, you know, those are the more creative and more exciting projects. Sure. Well, to that end, you have such an impressive roster of clients, many of whom are in fashion and media, including Anna Wintour, Jason Wu, Jay Fielden, as you mentioned before, Annie Leibovitz. Is there a difference between working with a regular private person, if you will, versus someone with such a well-defined sense of style? Do you find that that tends to be an asset or is it something that takes a little getting used to because they're sort of dueling points of view. I think that it, uh, you know, I feel like it's always helpful to have a strong point of view. I feel like it's sometimes more difficult when clients don't know or really don't have a sense and it takes more yeah. work and effort to sort of bring it to a not point. Not visual right. or kind of insecure. It's much worse mm -hmm. than it's, I found it a huge asset to work with such stylish people who also know, you know, especially with magazine editors, they know what they're looking at and they know how to look. So it's like, and it's okay. And like, we're comfortable taking their lead. I feel like, especially with Anna, our job isn't to show Anna how she should live as much as <laughs> to, she's trusting us to kind of execute and to edit and, um, well, there's, I think there's, there's a point of confidence with all these established visual people who really, you know, there's no wavering or dithering. They sort of, they know exactly what they want. Right. You're and, speaking the same language. And you get, on, you get online right. together much uh, more quickly. And I think the process just benefits from that gate. I know. And, you know, it was also, I thought, really interesting when we worked with Judge Chastain that she had such a comfort level working on sets with set designers 
that I thought they were as a couple also very open and kind of very interested in in how decor could be transformative. Right. They had a very strong point of view. Mm. They, you know, they really understood they wanted this sort of romantic look. And I think it was very much, to Mara's point, it was very much sort of derived from her time sent, spent on sets and, you know, the sort of the romance and the, and the beauty of these detailed, uh, there's a lot of theater and a lot of drama into the design process with her, which was apropos, but I think, um, Right, where for a lot of other people, a hotel might be, you know, the most exciting reference. outside experiences they have. Right. That's a really good point, actually. I, I hadn't, I mean, I wouldn't have thought about that working with an actor, but it makes perfect sense. And I remember that spread and Architectural Digest so vividly, that beautiful, almost moss green velvet, or um, the sofa was moss green velvet, but the living room was like this sort of slightly darker than moss, really. I don't know what you would call that shade of green, but it was stunning. All to offset that beautiful head of red hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's such a beauty. Now, you don't have to answer, but was it intimidating the first time that you presented to Anna since she is so decisive and has such a strong point of view? Uh, you know, it's... An interesting question that we get quite often because I think um, her personality precedes her or at least people think of her in terms of the movie The Devil Wears Prada and I think that while perhaps uh, at Condé Nast and in Vogue there's a certain um, a, a certain vibe perhaps um, it's very different than our experience with her because I think we're working with her mm -hmm. in terms of her family and her homes. And I think people, people often forget that, you know, her roots were coming from uh, HG. Uh, and I sure. think yeah. interior design is really a, as much a passion for her as fashion is. And I think in that context and being in her homes with her families, it's um, a much different role. And I think that she's, you know, she's a mom. She she wants to make sure her kids are comfortable, that her now grandchildren are comfortable, that, uh, you know, when she's entertaining, that people are at ease. And I think that uh, those are the kinds of conversations and, and that was sort of the demeanor. And so it wasn't intimidating at all. It was actually quite lovely to work with her in, in that regard because it was a whole different side of, of her personality. That's fantastic. So nice to hear. Where do you all turn for inspiration these days? Inspiration. You know, that's a, I find that a very difficult question because, you know, for some people it's always travel or, um, and we never go anywhere. We're always kind of trapped at the desk or strapped to the kids. But I find that it's, there's like a fantasy element with every new job and with every client and there's research that we do and um, it's kind of always like a productive inspiration. And on a daily basis, it's always just been kind of very basic, like nature. It's just kind of editing what I see and thinking about color combinations or textures. It's sometimes a detail from a piece of furniture at auction. Like it's, it's not these exciting, sweeping experiences. experiences. Uh, you know, I note when you know, we're sensitive to space. So when we go places and experience like a vestibule and then a, a grand room, I always, after we've left a place, kind of think about how I experienced it and what I liked about it. Um, and I feel that we've been, you know, we have, we keep a library, a resource library in our office, which we've been missing um, these past few weeks. But I do find that, um, especially these days where everyone's sort of glued to social media and they're always on their computers or phones. Um, we, I, I find that we often get inspiration from books. I find what we're seeing online sometimes gets a little repetitive. redundant and repetitive. And I feel like it's refreshing to just crack open an old classic design book and be able to, you know, just reference projects. You know, I think we're always inspired by history. It, it's a short answer. Mm -hmm. to the question but i think sometimes going back into those old 
tomes of, you know, just those great old decorating books to, you know, fall in love again with an old room and, you know, um, that you haven't seen on Instagram in the last couple of months, just because it's not a digital file. I think sometimes those are the most inspiring details. Right. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Where did each of you grow up? And did you both know growing up that you were destined to do something creative with your lives? I don't know if I, I don't think I really knew that. I grew up on a farm further north than where we are now, three more hours north uh, up in New York State in the middle of of nowhere, Um, actually not too far from where Tom Felicia grew up, um, coincidentally. But we, um, Hmm. uh, you know, I, I didn't even know it was an option. So my path to interior design was really, um, it it wasn't a straight and narrow path. I, I started out uh, at a fine arts college. Um, and I, you know, I, I had some talent. I could draw, I could paint. Um, I liked photography and I, I realized I would probably, um, I, I didn't want to be a starving artist. So I, I really did some research and I, I tried to find a practical outlet for um, my talents. And it sort of led me to FIT and interior design. And I actually had started um, in interior design and photography because I wasn't sure what I wanted to commit to. And um, which is a little known fact. And I actually worked uh, my first couple of jobs at school were with uh, photographers and interior photographer and with a location agency, which um, actually opened my eyes to a ton of beautiful interiors that I was just going to photograph for this agency in the tri-state area. And I feel like that's really what um, clicked for me and, really made me fall in love with interior design was sort of that eye-opening experience of just being able to be in all these incredible spaces as a photographer. That's amazing. And for me, I grew up uh, modestly in the suburbs of New York City. My parents were school teachers and it also, interior design wasn't uh, something that was a part of our, our neighborhood's culture. Um, and it was something I kind of discovered through the New York times. I used to read the New York times magazine and in the back was all the real estate supplements. I can hear our daughter screeching and screaming up in her room. You hear that? (laughs) No, no. It sounds like a bird. She always gets scammed on Roblox. (laughs) I'm sure that's what's happening. Uh, where she like lends her sheep to somebody and never gets it back. But, um, uh, I kind of discovered that there were beautiful ways to live that were very different than the ranch and split level ranches that were in, you know, populated my neighborhood. And, and then I remember thinking like, why do we live here when 15 minutes away is Bedford? Like everything beautiful was in Bedford and we were just like one town away. And uh, that opened my eyes, but it was really just my school. I was lucky enough in my high school that they had all these technical programs. So I was doing fine arts and I was able to take three-dimensional drawing and drafting classes. When I had a high school boyfriend whose dad had a design build company and I could go to his office and he would show me what they were working on and I could go to job sites. So I knew I loved it. Um, and I still love site work and the build so much and construction detailing, but uh, it wasn't something I thought was a real profession. I thought it's something that ladies did And it wasn't until I discovered that there were actually degrees you could get in interior design. So I was a little late in the game and I transferred uh, down to FIT. And that's where it kind of all came together where I thought, you know, FIT is a technical college. It wasn't terribly prestigious coming from, you know, regular liberal arts schools, but I realized it had all the courses and all the connections that for what we what I wanted to do it would be the best choice right that's so great and I mean you wouldn't have known that you were destined to meet Jesse as well so it all worked out so nicely their husbands at FIT I'll tell you that (laughs) (laughs) you found the one (laughs) Um, well you both have such a gift for designing in such a variety of styles. I mean, I, it's hard for me to define exactly 
what your style is because I feel like you're so um, you have such a deft hand at doing so in a variety of styles. And yet somehow each residence has that same thread where I feel, I can tell if I'm studying the work that this is, you know, carrier and company, but um, I'd love to hear how you guys, the both of you like to de de um, define your style and how you feel that, you know, you achieve that. It all comes down to editing. I feel like our interiors are varied and i think you know again we we do take a, a lot of direction from the client from the architecture so there's there's you know it's always going to be appropriate to those um those conditions but i think that the the common thread through all of the projects is a sense of um editing a sense of scale um i think that there's a a sense of livability, um, which are not all beautiful, sexy words to describe our work, but I do think that it's approachable, it's attractive, they're stylish, they're, you know, they can be glamorous, they can be country, they can be charming, they can be, um, they can be clean, but I think that they are always done with a level of um, editing, tailoring, and, you know, uh, I also think there's also conceptually I think we always work with negative space I think that's what makes our even more traditional looking interiors feel younger Fresh. and fresher and more vibrant uh, and we're very conscientious mm -hmm. of flow vistas traffic flow um this, this the scale of the furniture how it moves up and down in a room all those kind of intangibles that make sense in 3d and I also think one thing that's helps is that we don't design a room all at once we do it in layers and it really helps the room evolve so that things if the room is getting a little too traditional that's when we know oh we've got to look for a more contemporary coffee table or we've got to balance it in some way it gives us time and space to kind of act and and keep the the space is evolving and it gives the clients time to kind of adapt and get more confident so I think we, at the, over time, we get to take right. more chances because the clients are feeling much more comfortable with what we're designing. So do you then present in sort of stages or do you install the major pieces and then layer in after that? We present that? in stages. So it's always sort of a growing, um, yeah, it's, it's like a little incubator and the project kind of grows. And we basically, we start with... Mara likes to call it the shell. We're always sort of starting from the outside. The floor plan. Right. The walls, the floors, the mm -hmm. um, curtains, architectural surfaces, the tiles, the fixtures, and sort of getting, setting that stage and getting that right. And then we move on to the, the prominent right. pieces of upholstery and the larger pieces of furniture and the main pieces of lighting. And then it, we just keep layering on to each room in each project so that it sort of grows and the client can see in real time the decisions they're making with us and how they will influence the next decision so i feel like we'll show a variety for example of light fixtures and they may be really beautiful venetian fixtures they might be very contemporary um, modular fixtures they will show sort of a variety of things that we think are all beautiful options but um the decision is ultimately going to be based on prior decisions of, you know, well, what was the, what's the fixture in the living room and how do we want that to balance in the dining room? It can't be too similar. It has to be, you know, if it was metal in, in one room, maybe it needs to be glass or ceramic in the next room, just so there's a, a flow and a, um, a variety of finishes and it, that it's not one note or uh, repetitive. Right. That's a really smart way to present. And I presume that it would make the process a little bit more fluid and also um, get the clients to feel more invested and engaged and in the process. That's one of the things I always try to explain to the designers who sometimes in the office, like they get tired of all our Zoom meetings and they want to get, get to an approval. And I'm like, I really like a client to really commit to these pieces. We, we don't have 
we almost never have a client who's disappointed after at the install or really dislikes something because they were such a part of making all those decisions that it kind of makes the end of the job much more right. seamless. Sure. Well, you know, sometimes we like to discuss how things don't always go according to plan on this podcast, because if you've been in business for 15 years, chances are not everything has gone according to plan at some point. And clearly you've had great success and you're so highly regarded and respected in our industry. But could you tell us about a time that something didn't go according to plan and how you made it work? Didn't go according to plan but we made it work. Mm -hmm. Or perhaps there was a lesson that you had to learn, you know, a contract wasn't written the way that it should have been, or, like you know, some, some time in your career where you guys feel messed like up the, and you, the contract you figured it out. still a losing proposition. Uh, <laughs> every time I do a fixed fee for something, we're always working for free ultimately at a certain point, every time, um, mm. uh, we had one client asked to delay a project. They moved to a different coast. They were going to, we were designing everything. They didn't want to pull the trigger and pay for storage. They were waiting, waiting, waiting. And then when it was time to actually buy everything, they ghosted us. And that was, so oh, now no. we have lots of provisions in our contract for work stoppages and cancellations and all that kind of stuff, because it was a very long relationship and it was just kind of to have someone not be uh, transparent with us. Um, what would go according, what, what started to get derailed and got pulled back? I think I probably blocked those from memory. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, it's funny how affecting things like that can be. And, you know, to your, to your, um, credit you can't necessarily anticipate that some of these things will happen so of course they weren't written into your contract because you, you know, wouldn't dream of somebody just the same disappearing now we do and we've um and it's interesting because some clients are very trusting and some aren't and so the ones that are nervous kind of notice all those clauses in the contract and they think it's us being super aggressive or that we have a tendency to like fire clients and uh, we have to explain like, yeah, we just have a lot of liability. And again, it comes down to liability. And that's why I always like, I try to get the design, like if we're working on something and they're afraid a client might reject it. I was like, no, I let them reject it. Let's not move forward with something and be left holding the bag down. So I think we're very proactive or I'm especially proactive in making sure we don't have disagreements or disappointments down the road. So I'd much rather dump a custom table mm -hmm. and find a different table than take on uh, an unnecessary amount of liability. Well, sure, because then the alternative is they drag their feet and finally approve it and then it comes and they were never on board to begin with and then they're unhappy about it and it's custom so you can't return it and it costs a fortune so you obviously you know you don't want to eat the cost and they signed off on it so it just makes for a really difficult situation if you end up in that spot so I think you're really smart to be proactive and you're right if they don't like it that's fine better for them not to like it now than for it to get into the house and they but, not you know, be happy I also with think it maybe the most vulnerable vendors we've worked with are probably carpet vendors because they're working in some of them in, you know, real third world organizations and things go off the rails sometimes. So I feel like it's really about trust and relationships and mm -hmm. making sure you're working with vendors that are transparent. Right. I feel like we've, we've had quite right. a few, yeah, that's happened a few Definitely. times where it's either a monsoon or there's like, you know, there's some, horrific you know situation where we're in a carpet or some some custom order is not deliverable on time for a deadline because of it was monsoon season or there's you know some some terrible thing going on and and i think that's you know oh, yeah. those are those are examples I mean, of i have one example where we awry. i think i bought a 500 hundred dollar carpet from overstock.com 
to put in a client's family room because there was a rug that wasn't making a deadline. So we had to do a backup plan so that there was something that went in while well, we, we waited for something to come from overseas. Which ultimately came a year later, but. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, you know, to that point, I remember years and years ago, a, a friend who's a designer said to me when I was starting out, she said, you know, you're just, you'll figure out, but it's, it's not always your fault. When something goes wrong, very rarely is it actually Correct. your fault, but it's always your issue. It's always your responsibility to figure it out. I feel the like client. the thing that designers, the role we often play is, is cl we call ourselves client advocate. Cause I feel like we're the human connection where sometimes they, they don't under really understand what's happening with the architecture and they don't really understand what's happening with the build. And for, because we're talking about their sh shoe collection and their closets and their kids, that there's more of a human connection and a trust and we become their advocate and their voice sometimes on scene, sometimes behind the scene to make sure that they understand what's really happening or why people are suggesting different choices because I think sometimes that becomes intimidating. Right. You agree with this? You've mentioned, you've mentioned trust several times. And I think anybody in this industry would agree that that is the cornerstone of a successful client designer relationship. How do you go about establishing trust in the beginning in order to make the process more seamless and, you know, to advocate for the client along the way and obviously yeah, get to that end result. it's a level of transparency in the beginning. And I think, um, you know, this might even feed into your prior question. I feel like sometimes we are transparent to a fault where, um, you know, clients, whether it's through the, uh, Mara mentioned, you know, the, the details in the contract that we put in just so that it's all out there, um, the fees, whatever it might be. But I feel like we just try, you know, we, we, we just want to be a very open book. And even in the way that we present, we, we present, you know, our plans and our presentations sort of from one end of the house to the other. So you can step back, the client can step back and kind of perceive what that house will look like. And we put together schematics and illustrations to show what the rooms will look like. So there's never any surprises in the end. And I think that's really how we, we build that trust into our relationships. It's just through constant transparency. And I think it also, we've been told um, that our portraits, you know, you have to put out these professional portraits, that we actually look like our portraits, and that um, when you come to our office, it's a hardworking office. It's like an open plan. Our conference room is our resource library, so we can pull samples and pull materials while we're talking with a client if they're liking or not liking, you know, a direction scheme is taking it's, there's just, I feel like it's, there's just a lot of consistency and um, not a lot of smoke and mirrors. Mm -hmm. That's so important. I love that people have said that to you, that you actually look at your portrait. <laughs> I can think of a few floating out around there that um, are maybe a little dated and need some, some refreshing because people don't look like they claim we to. might be we might be rounding um, well, that corner. That's though. great. I think that's so. <laughs> the amount of refreshes are really increasing. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> well, what is um, one of the most memorable projects you've worked on recently? Is there anything that Hudson you're super Yards, excited the, about? The, the uh, apartment we did um, at Hudson Yards recently, I think, was really exciting. To be a, I think, partly because it was such a a storied building. Um, to finally come to fruition in New York. And it was exciting to be part of that moment in New York um, and, and part of that design scene. I think that was a really exciting project for us. Well, I think right now we're working on a, a renovation of a, a townhouse that's a really significant, really exciting interior. Um, the architecture is really contemporary and um, and it's kind of like Hudson Yards. I think we're brought in sometimes when people aren't 100% contemporary and they want the kind of comforts of traditional design, but within a more contemporary package. Within a package. So it's been, um, it's like just a really fun, mm -hmm. nice, nice family, exciting project. 
very daring, which is fun. And I'd have to say, outside of uh, you know, that's great art collection. Outside of these residential projects, I think we've been having we've been very excited and lucky to be working on uh, some furniture design and lighting design with partners uh, recently. So that's been a new sort of arm of our of our business and our um, our design ethos has been sort of putting our 15 years of uh, residential design into um, into product. And that's been a very exciting project for us to work on. Uh, it's true. Over the last two years. And I feel like it's it's been significant for us because it's starting to define, I think, define our aesthetic where we sometimes are behind the scenes in our clients' projects where we disappear a little bit. And um, it's kind of a, a as these as the lines grow and as the partnerships grow, it's kind of forming a a vision for our company, which is new for us, which is exciting. So exciting! Well, you're referring to your beautiful collection of furniture with Century, and of course, you have lighting with Visual Comfort and fabrics debuting soon with Lee Jofa, which is so amazing. Could you tell us a little bit about the inspiration you know, for the, behind the this Lee collection? Jofa collection that's coming out. Um, and it's, it's in there. I don't know if it's listed yet, but the SKUs are in their websites, which is great. It's June launch, but we are actually, um, those designs were largely inspired by our surroundings here at our home upstate, which has really always been uh, for us a, a a refuge uh, from the city. We'd be up here on weekends and we come up here on holidays and it's always been so restorative for us to come up here and be part of this landscape and part of the history of the Hudson Valley. And I think that, you know, the gardens and, and the woods and, and really a lot of the history that's sort of sewn into even just the farmlands that's around the house up here and the colors that change with the seasons and the sunsets have really inspired the patterns and the colors in our Lee Jofa collection. And it's just been actually, uh, Mara was saying the other day how it's been so amazing to be here at, in this time during the spring and just being able to watch from, you know, when we came here seven weeks ago, it was still basically winter. There were, they were still plowing snow and in this amount of time, it's sort of, we're just watching all the apple trees blossom and the garden beds blossom and the, and the whole, the whole landscape is sort of changing before our eyes and being able to sort of live through that instead of visiting it on weekends has been amazing. But that's really a long way of saying, you know, that collection was inspired by just by our surroundings up here in the Hudson Valley. Right. And with your furniture, were you trying to maybe fill gaps that you had identified in the market in your work as designers were there things that you were wanting to use that just weren't available that you decided to just then design yourselves or what was the approach there I I think that it it was that I think we sort of distilled intellectual right it's sort of for us a distillation of of all of our projects and to your point you know they're they're very different every project is different but I think that there are certain favorite forms and i think there's a lot of you know we like to mix in antiques and vintage pieces and i think we have found clients especially younger clients who don't have an appetite for antiques or they'll call it used furniture so some of the inspiration for the century collection was based on vintage and antique pieces that we love and we would love to see more of in our projects and i think we were able to sort of play with scale in these uh in these forms to create new pieces that are inspired by classic vintage and antique pieces that we, you know, are able to now present to clients who are, I think, more accepting of well, new I, pieces of furniture. I was that proud any sense. because I felt like we didn't, one thing that was great about Century was they, they came to us or they, we ultimately connected because they liked that we had a broad range and that we, would design a, a really curated collection that we weren't going to make a suite a suite of furniture that they they have a lot of talented furniture designers on hand already that's helping wash out their lines that they were looking to us for kind of a unique vision and they thought that we could grow with the company over time because our aesthetic is diverse 
And for me, I, I didn't refer back to what we Mm -hmm. use or what we, or what we do in our um, design as much as I just thought about how we shop and, and accent chairs and accent piece and cabinets we can't find that the, when, when we kind of finally got to our showroom to set it up, it was like a take my breath away moment where I thought we did a good job. It was really varied. The scale was really interesting. We made interesting occasional chairs that were really comfortable because we found that that's a hard sell to clients to have like a petite chair. They don't think it's going to be substantial enough for them or their guests. So I think we made a lot of variety and um, it was, for me, it was a very playful experience. That's great. I think that those are all really important considerations and, and bringing forth a product collection. And of course, that vision is, is um, so central to those other points, but you you guys, you knocked it out of the park. It's really fabulous. (laughs) Is there anything people might be surprised to learn about you? Hmm. What is surprising? I'm attuned in Reiki. And I curse like oh, a trucker. That's cool. <laughs> well, uh, what, what about you, Jesse? Surprising. I don't know. Usually, I mean, I think people are often surprised to learn that I grew up on a farm upstate. A dairy farm. A dairy farm. Um, and mm-hmm. I can't think of any other surprises except that I cut my own hair today out of, out of desperation and self-care <laughs> and it actually turned out all right yeah well there you go that's great so you have a hidden he's talent very good with he's not particularly handy <laughs> but he's very good at like styling I think he's actually he's a good cook a good gardener he's a good stylist he loves to hang art like he zhuzhes. He's a very good zhuzher. And he might be dyeing my hair soon at this rate. That's so nice. <laughs> I know my hair is starting to look a little rough. If you could go back in time, is there a piece of advice that you would give your younger self? There's so many. I don't know. Um, patience, I think. Patience. You can't see me, but I'm nodding my head. I feel like that's such an important lesson. When you're young, you just, you want everything to come together and, and to come together in that moment. But, you know, sometimes it's not meant to because that's not that's what your path like is going to be. Those were the last words I heard from Mar- Mario Boato when he had his book signing. Um, and, you know, it took him 60 plus 70 years to put a, his, his first book out, which is, you know, amazing. And another book we love to reference back in the library but he as he was signing the book he said just be patient don't you know Mm -hmm. and I think that was sort of the beginning of the time when everyone was publishing a book and he was like you don't you don't have to do everything at once you know let it just just have patience don't rush I thought you know true words not spoken that's exactly so such sage advice Well, we're recording this conversation in the midst of staying at home during the coronavirus pandemic, as we as we've touched on. What has this experience taught you? Have you found a silver lining? um, It's been great to be able to spend more time together as a family. I think that we are workaholics by nature. And I think that uh, otherwise we would be working until seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night, getting home and the kids would already have been fed Mm -hmm. and finished their homework and bathed and kind of ready for bed. And we would have those, you know, precious 30 minutes as I think many people do. And it's been really, um, you know, I think we were nervous going into it that it might be too much time, but we've actually, I think, learned to relax a little bit. We've been enjoying spending time together, making meals together. The kids are participating and getting along better than they have in recent history. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really been the silver lining is the, the newfound family time. It doesn't get any better than that. I so I read somewhere or someone mentioned that they'd read something um, along the lines of 
the fact that children will look back on this time. It's very likely that children will look back on this time and think of it as the best Mm -hmm. years of their childhood. And I'm sure that's due in part to so much family time and just a slower pace. I don't know how true it is, and I don't have I think, children I of think, my own to prove it. I think but... the fact that they're all doing all their it's, work remotely it was said. and on computers, and it's, yeah, I feel like it, it is a little bit like a, a never-ending spring break for them right now because, the you know, the workload is, they can kind of get yeah. through their classwork, mm-hmm. and, and half the time they would have been in school, and then, you know, it's sort of like, playtime after that so they're they're having a great yeah, time it's the opposite i've been i've been trying to plant seeds i'll be like you know guys it's called homeschooling you could do this forever <laughs> they're like, nope i miss my friends nope. are they are they I'm like yeah yeah well, you're working a few hours i'm sure you they must miss their friends schedule. but uh <laughs> no i think it's been it's been really interesting to be together and for for us it's as parents it's been really actually great to be a part of how they're doing their work and really understanding their, them academically and not relying on our usual helpers who've been great, but we, we had a nanny so we could work late. We had tutors and I think all those things, it's been really good for us to get, get a deep dive. Yeah, it's been grounding. Right, definitely. I'm, I can agree with that. What is currently giving you hope in design or otherwise? Uh, you know, I think, I honestly, I, I do feel that all this time spent at home for everyone, um, we are hopeful that it will reflect in our industry, um, industries, and that people will really, um, who, who may not otherwise have had such a great interest in home, will start to really think about the design aspect and, and really what, what's making home comfortable and livable. And I think that hopefully we will, we will see the fruits of that when we come out of this. I think you're right. I mean, people have to be realizing the importance of home in this time. I, I don't think there's any doubt that they are because it's an unprecedented amount of time to be spending at home um, and I think people understand now more than ever, more profoundly that home not only needs to be functional, but it must yeah. be comfortable and it has to bring you joy to some degree. You have to be able to find beauty at home in order to really well, that's, enjoy that's so much time in one place. I know. And, and, you know, I'm always a negative Nancy. That's I'm a half, that's half funny. empty cup person, but <laughs> I keep thinking, I hope that this this helps ground at least me and keep perspective because I was thinking like, since we moved to Manhattan, since we've been in interior design, we've worked and lived through 9-11. We worked and lived through the 2008 economic recession. And it was so rattling and devastating and frightening. And, 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 the city came back and normalcy came back and things flourished. And I'm trying to learn that these, these hiccups in a way are normal. It's kind of like growing up. Like I'm trying to understand that it's unprecedented, but so were some of those other events and just to kind of get used, get used to the unexpected and, and roll with it. it. And in three years, it'll be like it, it'll be a, a distant memory. That's such great advice and it's such a comforting, such a comforting thought. We'll, we'll end on that note. Thank you so much, you guys. This was so fun. And I feel like I, I learned so much more about you. Well, we can't wait until the day we can see you in real real life again. (laughs) I know we didn't get our, our usual high point reunion this year. (laughs) Thanks, well, Paloma. take care. Stay I look well. forward to seeing you both very soon, I hope. Bye-bye. You too.
That was husband and wife design duo, Jesse Carrier and Mara Miller of Carrier and Company. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to visit us online at thestylefilespodcast.com where you can find more episodes featuring inspiring conversations with creatives. You can listen directly on our website or subscribe via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying The Style Files, please consider leaving us a positive rating or review. It will only take a few seconds of your time and will make a big difference for us. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.